Lonely Monk Productions. I don't know if y'all have watched Shira and the Princesses of Power, but yo, that's my joy. joy. What's good, friends and family, neighbors near and far? Welcome to an all-new episode of the Yo, That's My John podcast. The podcast, website, brand, movement, way of life dedicated to the embrace and championing of your passions. I am your host, Nate Runkle, a.k.a. Adriana Johnis, a.k.a. Uh, look, I can't be expected to come up with witty John names right now. The Eagles just got so severely decimated by goddamn Tom Brady. AKA Nate 3.0, back at it again with yet another episode of the podcast. As always, I hope this podcast finds you all in good health and in good spirits. Coming up, I speak with Joe Pulio and Eli Wenger of The Bannister Effect. We have a great conversation about the creation of The Bannister Effect and their new album, A Life I Knew. And that is in a little bit. But first, a quick update on the state of the pod. First, hats. Okay, you may have seen me in images wearing a Yo, That's My John mesh trucker hat. Well, I was finally able to put them into production. So, coming very soon, you will be able to purchase one of your own in a variety of colors. What color do you want? Because we got green, we got red, we got purple, we got camo, we got orange, we got yellow, we got black. Guys, it's like an assorted rainbow. So keep an eye out on the Facebook page and on the website for details to follow. And next, I don't want to jinx it. But I have some really magical stuff that is looking to occur on the horizon. Some crazy guests that I never imagined I would ever get the chance to talk to. One of those is coming next episode. And then possibly, should we get through this recent COVID surge, we might have a live event. A live event with one or two or maybe even three absolutely batshit insane guests that I am still in shock about. So guys, what I'm asking for you to do is to cross your little fingers and say a little prayer for your old pal Nate here. I couldn't be happier about where things are with this show, and I know I keep beating this drum, but I am so incredibly lucky to be afforded the opportunity to talk to such awesome and amazing creatives. And today is 100% an absolute example of that. My guests today may have met as landlord and tenant, but together they have created a magical album seven years in the making. That album, A Life I Knew, explores love, death, divorce, the acceptance and reemergence of self in a mosaic of interconnected songs that has been described as a psychedelic Peter and the Wolf. Folks! It is my honor to welcome to the show Joe Pulio and Eli Wenger, The Bannister Effect. Pre-roll to make sure we're going. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am joined today by the great Joe Pulio and the great Eli Wenger. Guys, The Bannister Effect is here on Yo, That's My John. Thank you for joining me, gentlemen. Thank you for having us. Great to be here, man. 
So I'm really excited to have this conversation, not just because, as I was just telling you guys, this is the first time I've talked to two people at the same time. It feels like I'm, I'm, I'm like stepping up to a whole new level here. But also, I've been really, really enjoying uh, you guys' new project, uh, The Bannister Effect and the album uh, Life I Knew. Uh, fantastic stuff. So um, thank you for joining us, man. It's, I'm really excited. Appreciate you having us. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for the kind words. Oh, absolutely. Well-earned, well-earned. So, uh, guys, uh, let's. I guess we'll just start the same way that I start every conversation. Tell me each a little bit about yourselves, um, where you're from, where you grew up. Uh, we'll start with Eli. Um, generally speaking, born and raised in the Philly area, uh, Downingtown. Um, lived there for most of my life. Moved out to sort of uh, the boonies, so to speak. Um Played in a band when I was younger, Los Halos. We did the Philly scene for a while and uh, <laughs> had our ups and downs, I, I suppose. Um, uh, and then I owned Steel City Coffee House in Phoenixville uh, for a period of time um, from about 2010. I, I owned or managed it from 2007 through 2016. And, um, and now I run a nonprofit and make music with Joe. Oh, fantastic. Joe, how about yourself? Uh, pretty much Phoenixville has been my home base for the majority of my life. Um, uh, college and a few years after college, um, you know, various places. But I always sort of come back to the Phoenixville area. You know, cur currently I'm about 10 minutes outside of Phoenixville in Spring City. Um, but yeah, I would say without a doubt, Phoenixville is my home. My, my son has a 19460 zip code tattooed on his leg. Um, but that's sort of our place. All right. Yeah, that's for life. That's uh, those are forever. That's deep. That's deep. So um, when you guys were like kids, when you were growing up, like what was playing around the house? What was kind of your first experience with music? What can you remember, like your parents listening to and stuff? I mean, I have one of my first memories um, is is being at the bottom of our steps and my parents listening um, to Willie Nelson on, on, you know, LPs back then. And there's a sound. I don't know, they captivated me. They didn't know I was up. You know, it's one of those sneak down the stairs when they were kind of doing their thing or whatever. Um, and I just remember sitting at the bottom of the steps and just, I don't know, there was something, you know, like in my mind, I remember a fire and it, it, maybe I've created things in my head, but I, it, it's a distinct memory that just, uh, I don't know, it was my first love of music where I just sat and I listened to music because I couldn't sort of come around the corner. They discovered me. So I just sat and listened to the music and um, it was truly beautiful. Oh, man, that is amazing. Joe, how about yourself? So pretty much the exact opposite. My parents, <laughs> they didn't have music in the house, per se. So I um, I would listen to eight tracks that my mom had of England, Dan, and John Ford Coley and um, Barry Manilow. And um, when my buddy started driving, he had like a seven, early 70s Nova. And we used to, he was like, dude, you got to listen to uh, the Springsteen album, The River. And I was like, oh, this is it. And then Jackson Brown. And then um, we did. he did The Door. So whatever he was listening to in the early 80s, he was my ride. So I, I listened to that. And then the late 80s, um, probably the biggest influence in music for me was my best friend in college, who's still my buddy today, and Eli knows him. He was like, dude, you got to listen to this and this and this. And he just fed me. So I was listening to, you know, Marty Jones and Don Dixon and uh, some just really cool stuff. We did a folk music thing where we I actually got to know F Cliff Eberhardt, who's from the Philly main line. 
And then he introduced us to John Gorka and Christine Wheeler. So it was like this weird, we were just sort of roll with whoever and whatever was there. And it was super cool. And that fed me into this world. That brought you in. Oh, that's cool. So um, do you like, uh, how about like making music? When did you guys, like each of you, when did you start kind of like, oh, this is something I want to do myself? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I remember, um, I don't know, I guess, I guess my friends and I, we went and, and saw a dance and some band played and um, we said we could do that. And we didn't play instruments, but we said we could do it. And so we just went home. My brother had a guitar. So I started playing his guitar. Another guy had his brother had a guitar and we just tuned it down. That was the bass. And then one guy would bang on a cardboard. And we just started a band and, and it kind of grew from there, you know, over time. And I remember um, I went out and I bought a Tascam Porta studio in seventh grade. It's a little cassette based recording kind of four track and uh and just started recording our band and all my friends bands and it just kind of from that point on i knew that that's what i did and 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 then I, that evolved into a recording studio that i owned for many years and it just sort of was always my love once i kind of was old enough to realize that i loved it yeah Oh man, that's, that's incredible. So like when you're, when you're kind of crafting that early stuff, like, uh, was it, was it the music, making the music itself or was it kind of the production? Because, you know, I, I've, I've heard tell that you're, uh, quite the tinkerer, uh, when it comes to, uh, when it comes to recording. I mean, I think, I think it's both. I mean, um, I have a love for songs. I have a love for, uh, for just a well-crafted song that that takes you on a journey somewhere and and by the end of it i don't know you, you've sort of completed some sort of cycle and 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 i don't know investigated yourself on some kind of level something happens even if it's a song about a sam you know like a sandwich or something like that if, it, if it's done right it can like i don't know, take you to a place and really give you something and so um so i love that and sometimes that gets created through the actual construction of the song and sometimes that gets created through all the sort of supernatural kind of uh ambiance that can be added through production and, and what you can evoke you know beyond sure. simply the music and uh and so i always had a love for both and different songs played to different strengths some song was a was a really cool song and it didn't need any production it just needed to be straightforward and other other songs just asked to be tampered with and and manipulated in cool ways in order to kind of reach their peak so it, it was always equal it depended it depended what the song needed what it asked for sure that makes yeah. sense Joe, like, uh, do, were you were you always writing lyrics and 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 poetry and stuff like that, or? So, um, in college, I was an English major and English lit major, and I wasn't a creative writing. I was nineteenth century British lit, but I took a creative writing class with a professor who we got along incredibly well. He was Italian, he was a poet, um, and we used to hang out at the lo- the like campus coffee shop. He would he would get these Fulbright scholarships to go study Sanskrit poetry. And then when he'd come back to school, we'd hang out and we'd talk whatever nonsense. He'd drink tea with like 19 lumps of sugar in it. <laughs> but um, so I took his creative writing class. And I to be honest, I wasn't very good, but um I was super fascinated with uh any type of manipulation of words, whether it be poetry, um, or just you know, any type of writing. I love the words. And I had read a lot when I was a kid. Um, I started with the Hardy Boys series when I was like in fourth grade. I read every one of them and it's a voracious reader all through middle, uh, not so much middle school, but definitely high school, English major in college. And when I went to see, Cl- again, Cliff Eberhardt 
played a local coffee shop called the Red Raven, which doesn't exist anymore. And he sang a he sang a song with his brother, but he had recorded it with Richie Havens. And it's called oh, the, long Ro- the Long Road. So if you have any opportunity to listen to it and can find that, it's breathtakingly beautiful. And I so afterwards, I went over to Cliff and I said, hey, man, that was freaking unbelievable. And we just struck up a conversation. I ended up getting his phone number because he used to play up at the bottom line in New York City all the time. He invited me up to New York City. Just a great dude. And then I heard a cover of Prince's When You Were Mine by the Blue Rubies. And it's, again, heartbreakingly beautiful. It's one of my favorite covers ever. And at that moment, I realized, like, some point in my life, I would love to be able to affect people the same way those songs affected me. But I had no plan. So, like, I study Buddhism. There's no attachment, right? I'm not attached right. to it. I just allow, try to allow, as best as I can, things to be what they are. But in the back of my mind is, I would love to be able to do that someday. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that, I mean, that's, that's, that's really, really, really fascinating. Like, um, it, it's also interesting to me that some of your earliest kind of in that Nova, uh, uh, exposure to music was like Springsteen and Jackson Brown and guys who are like incredibly lyrical. You mentioned the doors, you know, another one, Jim Morrison. So like it, it totally tracks, like it totally makes sense. Kind of that, that, that path. Um, when when did you guys like when did you guys actually start doing your own stuff individually um when when like that it was you know presentable i guess not just uh <laughs> kind of banging on a cardboard box uh, <laughs> as you were mentioning or what don't knock banging on a cardboard box hey, man <laughs> it goes far it goes far <laughs> i actually build these instruments called uh, transmogrifiers um that are all made of of found pieces and I, and I turn them into percussion kits uh, based on kind of how you accent them. They can turn into to really interesting pieces of, of, of percussion that, that, that can add a lot of tone and stuff like that. So everything is an instrument in my world. Um, but uh, are you asking like, like when we started writing together or individually on our own? Just individually on your own. Like when it, when it became, you know, kind of less a hobby and more like, hey, let me get out and start kind of playing out. I mean, for me, it was even when we had the cardboard boxes. Oh, as soon really? as I realized, like, I don't know, right away I realized that it was something that I, don't, I could do, for one, and it was mine. Like, in terms of my family dynamic, um, wonderful family, but, but music, while it was existent, we were pressured, not pressured, but, but sports was sort of the family kind of, like, go-to in terms of how we all kind of got together and knew each other. We were all good at them and, and, and we enjoyed them and stuff. But music I was allowed to explore on my own. Like, there was no pressure to do anything. Not that there was pressure to be sports, but just in general. Like, sure. it wasn't, there was no expectation of what it would or would not be. Or, or, and so I got to do it entirely on my own. And it spoke to an emotional sense in me. So right away when I realized that like this was something that was just even available to me i was all the way in from day one and and just sort of never kind of broke that okay okay and joe did you did you publish anything or yes and uh nate so by trade i am a um track and field coach um i actually just work with as a consultant to the first Olympic gold medalist I've worked with in my career, which oh, awesome. was in, in Tokyo, which is really cool. So in 2010, um, uh, my book running anatomy was 
it ended up being the first edition was I wrote it a second edition a few years ago. But um, at that time, it was published by Human Kinetics, which is sort of the large sort of behemoth um, publishing company in exercise science in the United States. So I, I wrote Running Anatomy. And then I, I had the chutzpah to think I could write a novel. So I was writing the manuscript for a novel. And everything I ever heard about writing was just keep writing, write all the time, just write, write, write. So I would, I would finish or not do work on the novel and I would write just whatever. And I call them like word turnings, like wood turnings. And they ended up being the basis of the lyrics and that I gave to Eli. Okay. Um, So I, I came to, this is my memory. I came to Eli and said, Hey dude, I have some words that I was wondering if you think they could be a song. And then later Eli told me, and I hope I remember this correctly. is like, dude, I hate when people do that shit because I never want to say to them, dude, these suck. I don't want to have to do anything with them. So we, we did one and he sent me like an MP3 at like 3 AM in the morning. And I woke up and I listened to it and I was thoroughly intoxicated by hearing my words set to really good music. Cause Eli is incredible. We did one more song, and the third one I gave him the lyrics to, he said, dude, we're going to do an album. Or I think it was third or fourth. And um, I was like, well, I don't even know what you mean, an album. Like, I, I don't know nothing. I don't know how to play an instrument. I joked that when we were in the studio at Turtle, I didn't know the difference between a snare drum and a Wurlitzer. <laughs> like I, I, I couldn't, if you gave me a guitar, I couldn't possibly tell you how to make a sound that was even reasonably music out of a guitar. Um, but Eli was like, we're in. And I'm like, okay, man, whatever you need. And he's like, well, I need as many songs as you can send me so we can do this. I'm like, well, I got a ton of them. So I just kept sending them songs. Um, we would take, we would go down. We went to see a show at the Boot and Saddle. We saw Tommy Keen. And on the way down, I'm like, dude, I got two songs for you. I can't, I'm so excited about it. You know, it was just these. And then next thing you know, we ended up doing this. Next thing or seven years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't meant to be seven years, um, but that's just how it worked out, right? Sure, sure. Uh, just to rewind a little, how did you guys meet? So I um, basically, uh, when I owned Steel City, Joe uh, was my landlord. Oh, okay. And so, um, you know, started off as, you know, a basic, you know, uh, business relationship, tenant, you know, stuff like that. And, um, and then, you know, obviously... Um, I don't know, we just, you know, got to talking and got to know each other at least, uh, you know, a little bit deeper than that as time went by. Um, and I don't know, I guess, I don't know how, I, I, I kind of forget time-wise how close of friends we were at that point when you gave me the, 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 the first set of lyrics. But we were close enough that obviously you would share them with me. And so, um, and so he shared me, and, and, and he's right, I, I, I don't, I hate putting people in a position where they have to um, evaluate my music in front of me. You know, so like like showing people music, they either like it, which is great, or they or they don't like it, and then they have to lie to you, and that's right. I, I think a really unfair position to to put someone in, and it's also a position I don't like to be put in, despite the fact that I own a music venue and people are submitting you know music to me all the time. Um, but the thing about it is, it doesn't matter if I like it. What matters is that you're doing it. That's doesn't have to be what I like. I just love the fact that you're being creative and doing something cool. So yeah, play a show. Let, let's do it, whether I like it or not. Um, but hopefully I do like it. But when they ask, them, how do you like it? You know, then it's just like, ah, I love the way the snare hits on that one song. Like, I don't, you know, you have to make something up. You have to be, yep. I don't know, which 
you want to do because you you love someone. But but anyway, um, so I don't like to be given stuff, and he gave me stuff, and I was a little nervous. That like, ah, this is bad. How do I? How do I pretend with my landlord that I like something or be respectful of it, decline interest in it or whatever, but also kind of support creativity, whatever. Um, it was good. And so I didn't have to worry about it. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Do you remember it the same way, Joe? Like, uh, is that? <laughs> yeah. So um, one of the things I think we both pride ourselves on is we both have like integrity about our work projects. Um, in Eli's current, what he does currently it's super important, right? He's providing food to people who are need, need help to be fed. And it's, you know, that's sort of how we both live our life. And I think one of the reasons we connected is, I don't even want to say like landlord tenant, although that was the dynamic is we both had integrity about, I think how we went about doing our stuff. Like, even though I was Eli's landlord, I used to meet with him and his dad just to talk about the business. Like how are we best serving what we're doing? which isn't, I don't think, a real common thing. No, so sure. I, I felt super comfortable sharing my words and my feelings and thoughts with Eli. Um, and to be honest, I did not know at that point how skilled Eli was as a musician and as a songwriter. I had heard and he had told me that he had worked with other bands. I knew that he had a band, Los Halos. I had really no idea how talented he was. Um and then when we started to work together, we went to a, we went to Turtle Studios to do it. And I saw how, how incredibly skilled he was. I was like, yo, I'm super blessed to have this person be the person that is working with me. Like, it was like, Nate, like, I, I, I get this from you immediately. It's like Tennessee Williams, I always say this, with Blanche Dubois and Streetcar Named Desire. I rely on the kindness of strangers. When you meet people, you're just open to them. You open your heart to them. Like, and that's how Eli and I were like, I'm opening up my innermost thoughts to you, but I trusted him entirely. And I knew that he, you know, once he started working it, I was like, Oh, this is the perfect person to do this project with. Yeah. I mean, and and it makes sense too, because that is a very vulnerable thing to um, take those lyrics and share them, especially, you know, um, the other end to receive them like, you know, and I think, you know, not to be weird or anything, but I think like it's almost uh kismet that it was you to, you know, that that was that you showed it to Eli and Eli that you received it the way you did, because, you know, that it easily could have gone 50 other different ways, you know, but I think and 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 there is kind of a correlation that, you know, you guys are both, you know, outside of this and just from the conversation we're having and from the things I've read in the press release and stuff like that, you guys are both focused on on giving and 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 helping. And and I think, you know, again, I, I occasionally get a little woo woo about music and stuff like that. But I, I think that comes across in your music. Like, I, I think there is definitely kind of a through line there. Um I don't have a question for it. I just, that's a, that's a I don't know. No, I think that's a really great observation, Nate, because we've talked about carrying threads through the whole LP of both lyrical, you know, the, what we're trying to do lyrically, but also musically sonically with what Eli's done. And uh, we've connected on that. The really cool part is when I gave Eli the lyrics, 
there was no expectations of what came back. There was no my trying to control the narrative being like, I want to hear this type of song. Every yeah. once in a while, I'd say, oh, I think this is an upbeat song or I think this may be a slower song. But other than that, I don't know anything about music. So I left it entirely up to Eli to create whatever he felt moved him from the lyrics. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that totally makes sense. Eli, was there anything that like, um, when you read it, you were like, holy crap, this is it. Like, it was, was it immediate or was it just like, oh, that's really good. And then like, cause I know he said, you, you said you gave him like three songs before you, you know, said that, you know, Hey, we're going to make this album. But like, was it from the beginning? Like, oh, there is definitely something here. So what's interesting is, is I didn't evaluate it that way necessarily. Um, in the sense that I wasn't studying it for quality. I was, I was reacting to it for inspiration. Okay. You know, did it, did it feed something in me that allowed me to create from it? You know, like, um, and so it did first off, you know, um, but I think one of the, the interesting things about this, this record is that um, it grows on you. It's a, it's a slow build, like I think it, it it presents itself as these songs that are pretty I don't know pretty accessible all, all things considered even though they have their moments, um, but the 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 more you listen to it the longer that you listen to it so to speak um, it kind of it, it gains insight as it goes the, the depth of these songs both sonically and lyrically reveals itself kind of over time more and more and more and um, in in the initial lyrics that he gave me I knew the kind of the basic context under which kind of he wrote them, you know, uh, you know, a, a relationship in one case. And, you know, well, I, I actually, I think that in both of the first couple cases, um, a specific relationship. And so I knew that, that what he was bringing to the table and, and the vulnerability that was there. Um, and then it, so I, I respected that. And then it was just a matter of, did it feed my own kind of life? Cause sometimes people can show you something very revealing and very beautiful, but it doesn't necessarily for whatever reason, feed your life in that way, or at least to create from it you know um and this did and then as i i got into it and, and did it more and more the depth of the lyrics started to reveal itself um did you let the did you so music wise did you um did you come at it with some sort of um inspiration like kind of what you wanted it to sound like because it does it, it kind of it it flows through I don't want to say through genre, but it does, you know, kind of flow through kind of different sensibilities and stuff like that. Could you, did, was that like your goal from the outset or was there any point where you were like, no, I mean, like that's, I mean, that's all for me. That's always the goal. I, I, I hate to create the same song twice. Not that I don't, um, but the goal is with every song to try, try a brand new suit on and see how it fits, you know, and, 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 and make it your own. Um, and so every song by default, like there's a couple false starts, you know, where I was, I, I would start strumming something and trying to kind of see what, what came. And I'd realize, ah, eh, this is, you know, redundant of, of this idea or that idea or whatever. So there were some false starts, but most of the time, um, I mean, I can only think of two particular cases where that wasn't, you know, out of, out of the, you know, I think 15 songs that even though there's only 11 on the album, 15 songs we've done. Um, there's really only two where, the initial idea isn't the idea that we pursued all the way through. And usually like it wasn't built up. It's, it's almost like from the first moment you start, it's, it's either there or not. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, as, as we've all, all kind of discussed here, like, you know, there is that through line through this, um, as this was 
you know, generated from the novel that you essentially walked away from, have you thought about making essentially the Bannister Effect novel, uh, like a novelization of this? It did. It's fascinating you brought that up because uh, Jay Levine at Turtle said to me, like, you need to make your version of American Idiot. Like, this needs to yeah. be more of a, a, a play, a musical. And um, so I haven't even spoken to Eli about this, but one of the thoughts in my head is, like, what if I adapt the novel manuscript and sort of recreate it as, because in the novel, there's lyrics that some of them we didn't use at all on the album. Some of them never became songs that we used, but they're in the manuscript. Okay. So I think it's doable, Nate. This is a weird idea, but I th- maybe we'll understand. I feel like due to COVID, I'm operating about 85% of my capacity. Yep. I've lost this, whatever this, there's 15% approximately that I'm just not there. And in order to have a life with a fam, with, with my life, I, I have to be a hundred percent there to be able to write that, that type of endeavor. Um, so I don't know if now's the right time. Um, I just wrote another song that I sent to Eli um, a couple weeks ago. And we've, we have a couple songs that we, I think we're going to come out with either singles or an EP in the next year to keep the momentum going. Cause I think they're really good. Um, but I don't know if I can tackle that project. I don't know if I had the bandwidth to do it. Yeah, that makes sense. What was uh what was the pandemic like for you guys? Um fantastic like it was for the rest of us or <laughs> how did it affect the project, I guess is more important. Like uh, uh um well, uh I, for, for me, I guess I don't know did it affect I mean like it affected my life obviously. Um but for me it was it was kind of just just I don't know, just go up in the room and, and make music. I mean, yeah. you know, like I essentially this project was completed during uh, the pandemic. And, um, and so it's just a matter of every night go up into the studio. Not that I wouldn't do that anyway. Um, but it's just, I, 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 I live in the woods, so it doesn't, you know, change my day to day all that much work changed significantly. I mean, like I run a food pantry and, and so we, <laughs> we went from, <laughs> serving a couple hundred people a day to, to nearly a thousand. So it, it just, it just went berserker. Um, so that changed. And then, you know, music was reward, but I don't know that it necessarily, the, I guess the thing about it is with this particular project, the essence of what the project was, was completed before the, the pandemic. And it was sort of the, the, the final kind of full realization of, of, of sort of the, um, the chaos, like, I look at songs as having a structure, a strong core, and then chaos around it that you have to harness in order to kind of really bring out and evoke the the, the, the deeper levels that, that are happening in the music. And so the core was already finished, you know, so how it was written, how it was initially kind of like recorded, you know, with the drums, bass, those, those essential instruments was already done. I was more or less working on the chaos. So perhaps it just um, helped <laughs> bring about a greater amount of chaos. <laughs> yeah, totally. So for me, as the lyricist only, it just provides more fodder for me to dig into my emotional life and come up with songs. Like, I mean, my notebook is full. My phone is full of all like ideas, the things that I've struggled with over the past couple of years. Um, so there's, it's all potential to write about. And, you know, I, not that I would say that I didn't, 
wanted to go through that, but I just tried to make the best of it. I mean, we ended up creating a small farm over here. We got a horse, we got chickens. We just kept adding animals, um, you know, just because like, okay, well, you know, let's look at something, a different way to live our life that can bring joy in a time that, you know, we just changed the way we looked at the world. And that included, you know, taking care of things that needed to be taken care of. Like we were, we even added more responsibility to our lives. Um, So that's sort of how it affected my life. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, um, so the album is coming out on the 21st, I believe. Right. Um, and the, uh, is, is, I, I know I watched it, but I, I don't know if it was a private link or not. Is the alone music video out there? Is that, is that the world can check that out uh, currently? Like right this second? Uh, the again video or yeah. again, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, that, uh, there's a YouTube page. I, I don't know it off the top, but, but if you do Bannister Effect YouTube, it's out there. It's on the Bannister Effect, you know, um, Instagram and and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I saw I saw a bunch of the promo clips for for each song and whatnot, and uh, was really fascinated by it. And that was kind of also where my narrative question came from about you know revisiting Dave Osborne. Dave Osborne. Uh, Dave Osborne, um, my buddy who did the video. Um, fantastic work fantastic work i think i mean like it does like put just such an extra feel on on the music and kind of you know it, it's a beautiful painting if you will um I, is there I, is there any thought of doing kind of um like uh longer videos for those or are those just um kind of like a uh, little little snippet paintings i i, well, I love it so he did yeah he did a, um, a little short video for every song on, on the record, you know, like a 30 second or 20 second, uh, little clip, not sure about a long form video. Uh, <laughs> they take time. Yeah. Um, uh, and they take money. Um, so who knows, maybe, maybe we'll win the lottery and get, get a whole slew of them. But, uh, but I, I think that for me, the focus is on trying to kind of play some live shows, um, and try to, I don't know, maybe improve how I can kind of get these songs across, um, individually. Um, I, I can't believe I completely bypassed this in the, in the recording. Did you play all of the instruments? A significant portion, but but obviously we we work with some incredible people. I mean, like we, we recorded it at Turtle. Uh, so Ross Bellinois was part of that. John Coleman, Patrick Berkeley, uh, uh, um, Matt Scarano. Um, oh, I can't remember the name of the keyboard player that that played the honky tonk piano on one song. But my apologies. Um, and yeah, and and and. Uh, my my wife and and a good buddy did some harmonies and stuff um but there's lots of layers and so you know i would say i don't know the vast majority of what you hear is 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 on some level informed by what i'm either directing or playing um but certainly amazing people were part of you know uh putting incredible you know thought and ideas into it nate when we did the uh, basic tracking and we went in the studio and um i was like Patrick Berkery, right? You've played in and enlisted all these bands. And then like a couple months later, the war on drugs won the Grammy and Patrick had played on that album. And I was like to Eli, I said to him, I said, dude, this is a pretty incredible group of artists. I mean, John Coleman plays with Ben Arnold. Ross is fan, you know, fantastic on every level. And, um, and then it got even better. We're going to do a show at steel city um, on the 19th of March. And uh, Ross went out and got uh, Jaron 
Olevsky, I guess, and who is the is um, Amos Lee's keyboardist and his music director to play keyboards. So we, I've been talking to friends and like, dude, this is like the the like incredible. Like, who the hell put together that band? I'm like, I don't know. I mean, they just were kind enough to play on the album. That's unbelievable. It's crazy, crazy. Yeah. I was gonna be that was gonna be my follow up question is what what does the live band then look like and 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 does how how is it translating live? Because um, there is you know it, not that it's a complete you know heady studio uh, project, but there is a lot of you know um, beautiful production on it. Uh, does it translate live? We'll see. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, I hope. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, like uh, there, you know, obviously this was all done during COVID, you know, finished. So um, there were no live shows, you know. And so this this will be the first show as a band um, besides, you know, um, Bannister Effect shows that are essentially just me playing. Yeah. Okay. I've heard Eli play acoustic. And what we need was heartbreaking. Like, it was absolutely beautiful the way he sang it without a band. So I'm interested to see what it'll sound like with a band because Eli's, you know, he's sung it and listened to it a thousand times now. So he's put his like the, the extra patina of life from when the song started till now has added like a significant layer of gravitas to the song. And it's beautiful. That's that's amazing. Have you have you thought about like kind of dropping uh, any uh, acoustic videos on the YouTube channel of any of the songs or anything like that? Or it's it's a thought. Um, nothing yet, uh, but but I think that's something that'll happen at some point. Yeah. 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 Cool. The um. So like like we said, twenty first, uh, which um, this will come out on Monday. So that'll be sometime next week, right? Next Friday. Yeah. Is that Friday, right? Friday. I think Friday is the twenty first. Okay. Yeah. So it'll be this Friday. I, we're we're in we're in the future now. It'll be this Friday. Um, yeah. All, all the streaming, all the streaming services and stuff like that. Is it going out on? That's what CD Baby tells me. That's it. That's it. I love it. I love it. Have you, uh, is there a physical copy? Like, are you doing physical copies of this or? Yeah, there, uh, we printed up, you know, a limited amount of CDs that I'm, I'm sure there will be some available at the show. And, 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 uh, yeah, mostly they're just for friends and stuff like that. Yeah, totally. Totally. So like, is this a project you guys are looking to continue then? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, you said you were writing some more lyrics and stuff like that. Um, without a doubt on my end, um, and I'm pretty confident Eli feels the same way, but given the, the, the pace of the work, the next album will be out in 2036. (laughs) (laughs) Um, no, in all seriousness, we actually had a pretty, pretty good discussion about trying to do a song that is, Eli's done the song. It, It needs to be evolved, but, um, we had talked about like, I I'm in love with Mike Brenner and the steel guitar. So maybe reaching out to Mike and being like, Hey man, like we got a great song that would perfect for a steel guitar. And I called Eli and I'm like, what do you think? And he's like, um, he's like, yeah, I think he could use the steel guitar. So I think that's something. And Eli, you know, Eli's constantly working on his music. So it could be another Los Halos EP. Um, you know, we're just really supportive. Like I'm fully supportive of, Eli's music separate from Bannister, but I'm also, you know, there's a selfish part of me that just wants more Bannister effect music out in the world. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Eli, what else are you what else are you working on besides this uh, with with your own stuff? Um, so I'm, I'm I'm trying to kind of I haven't put out anything of my own in, in, in quite a while. Um, so I'm trying to do a new project. Um, I'm just calling it Bad Kids, and uh, just basically trying to do a song a month, put it up to Spotify and, and Bandcamp, and just um, so this, I mean this record took seven years, but that's it needed every minute of those seven years. Like, I don't think it would have been done correctly in any less time from my perspective. Um, but that's the only record that needs to be done like that. That doesn't mean that that's how, you know what I mean? Like, like, like that record took with that record. That's a very thematic record. There's incredible depth of narrative and, and, and songs that, that connect with other songs and ideas. And, and it was a very thought out, you know, really kind of intentional process to create these layers and, um, and, 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 and it needed it and I'm glad it, it has it, but, but that doesn't mean that every song necessarily has to be that. Uh, so to, to kind of put myself in a new perspective, I just want to do a song a month and not get too precious about it and just kind of see what happens, try to create something interesting and new and then move on to the next one and just see, see what that spurs in me. Neat. You can call him on his bullshit because the next album will take 10 years. <laughs> you may be right. This is a goal. I'm not saying it's uh... <laughs> but no, yeah, I mean, like, you know, if every record I've made prior to this had a maximum of 16 tracks because it was all analog. So you couldn't get, I mean, I'm sure if you had tons of money and Peter Gabriel, you know, <laughs> whatever, um, you could, but, but my records never took that long prior. Um, you know, because there, there was the limit of, of just the studio with the digital world. I don't necessarily like working in the digital world, or at least um, it's taking me time to kind of figure out how to enjoy working in it. Yeah. Um, and so you lose something and, and what you lose is the ability to make decisions in the moment that that are final, which, yes, that can suck. But it also it really kind of uh, makes you choose as opposed to put off decisions. And, and with digital you you can always be exploring and and that's part of what you know is is a challenge to me is the fact that i can just keep on trying things um but that's the only way that i enjoy the process of working in digital so it's like i'm trying to find that balance of of exploring potential and possibilities while also having a finite something that keeps me in check it used to be i had 16 tracks so i'm thinking time might be an effective way to kind of put a limitation on that can hopefully spur a different type of creativity. Yeah. Um, you know, another thing you could try, uh, I, this is something I do personally, uh, because I, uh, I, I have a, a crippling case of adult ADHD. And, um, so one of, one of the things I always do is I always announce things on this podcast before they're even close to being done. And I, I set a date and then I let the audience, um, force me <laughs> to, <laughs> to hit that time frame. And I've only missed it twice, twice in two years. Yes. So. <laughs> yeah. You can't be perfect, but it's, it's a good way to at least keep your, your, your impulses somewhat in check. Exactly. Okay, Nate. I like that idea. So we're going to have a song called It's Okay, and it's going to be coming out by late spring. It's a uh, single. Eli and <laughs> there you go, man. I appreciate it. You set the date. There it is. Late spring. You heard it here first, no, guys. You don't call the date. I call the date. <laughs> no. Wait, man. It's, it's I'm the one recording the song. It's I'm us the together. It's us together, man.
Um, <laughs> moving forward onto the onto the newer stuff, is there? Can you picture any scenario, uh, Eli, where you'll be like, "Hey, here's some music. Do something with this." Uh, to Joe, like backwards. Uh-huh. It's an interesting idea. It's, it's not something that I've um, necessarily explored, but um, why not? Yeah, that would be an interesting. Uh, yeah, why not? That's really cool, Nate. I, we've never even thought that way. Yeah, because yeah. I was wondering, you know, you, you're, you're kind of writing the music to the lyrics. It'd be interesting to see what would happen if you were writing the lyrics kind of to something that was yeah. already created, you know? I wrote I like this the way you're thinking. Interesting. I wrote this totally inappropriate song that Eli will never do. So if he sends me music, I'm just going to send him back. <laughs> and I'll be like, dude, we did it. See how easy that was? I mean, you have to make up the melody. You're going to have to do it all, dude. <laughs> it might be worth it. It sounds like it might be worth it. I think it's fantastic. Challenge accepted. All right. At this time, gentlemen, this is a segment we do on every single podcast with every single guest. uh, And this is the first time I'm going to try to do it with multiple people. So bear with me if if there's any hiccups. But are you gentlemen ready to enter the jauntlet? I'm so excited. All right. Here we go. This is the first part. These are the one hit wonders. These are uh, I'll just call you out in order um, uh, uh, for an answer. These are quick ones. Uh, Your your typical verses, if you will. Number one, Eli, Billy Joel or Elton John? Elton John. Yeah. Joe? Oh, without a doubt, Elton John. My song may be one of the best songs ever written. I also, you know, lyrically, uh, would it makes sense that that would be where you without would a doubt yep. as well as well. Uh, number two, Debbie Harry or Joan Jett? Eli, Debbie Harry, Joe, Joan Jett. Oh, Crimson and Clover. Um, I like when I saw the question, I was hearing the song in my head, so it was super easy. Debbie Harry is a huge part of my childhood in two different ways. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I just we just saw her two summer uh, pre-pandemic, so uh, 2019. Um, uh, oh, uh, it was her and Elvis Costello, and uh, yeah. God, God, they still have it. Like they, yeah. they're they're great, absolutely great. Uh, number three, Aretha Franklin or Tina Turner? Eli, Aretha Franklin. And uh, Tina Turner, but the second version of Tina Turner, like 1984, um, was it uh, Private Dancer? Yes. Uh, like, so I hadn't listened to her and I saw that. I was like, oh, shit. This is some <laughs> awesome stuff. I lo- absolutely loved it. Oh, that's amazing. That is amazing. Uh, yeah. The next one, a pretty big one, uh, Nirvana or Pearl Jam? Nirvana. Uh, Pearl Jam? Uh, Corduroy, I absolutely love that song. And uh, so Stone Gossard did a band called Brad. Yes. With the song The Day Brings, which is one of my top 10 singles of my, of my life. Uh, Brad had a little bit of Chuck Treese, Philly's own. So there, uh, there we go. Keeping absolutely. it keeping it thematic. Uh, <laughs> next one, Janis Joplin or Stevie Nicks? Stevie Nicks. Yeah, Stevie, Stevie Nicks. The Fleetwood Mac stuff's absolutely incredible. Excellent, excellent. Uh, the big one, the biggest one, the one that they, th- this was all created for, Beatles or the Stones? Beatles. Saw it coming. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny. I've heard you ask this question. Um, I struggle because Beatles, 
in so many ways, but the Stones are just fucking cool to hang out with and listen to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, you love the Beatles because it's, it's just, it changed the face of music. That's definitely but, true. Yeah, so I, I would say Beatles. You know, here's so um, I, I I did this myself, um, uh, this whole jauntlet thing, and I got interviewed um, actually by this puppet that's over my shoulder. His name's Petey. Uh, it's available on YouTube if you want to check it out. But um, but my answer for that is the Rolling Stones, and 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 the reason for it is because like with the Beatles, they changed music. All right, so it's almost otherworldly. And uh, but when I look at them, I think of like how brilliant Paul is, and I think of how brilliant John is, and how brilliant George is, and you know, Ringo is also, uh, you know, an accomplished musician himself. Um, but when I think about the Stones, I don't think about Keith, and I don't think about Mick, and I don't like I don't think about Charlie, and I don't think about individuals. I think of them as a band. Okay, so in my mind, the way that I frame that question and the way that I can successfully say that I prefer the Stones over the Beatles is I think they're a better band. And oh, uh, and, okay. and so there's yeah. my little there's my yeah. little why okay. this right. why this question exists. Take <laughs> it, take it. Um, he, I thought, I thought okay. we were going to do Stairway to Heaven or Bohemian Rhapsody. That is the next one. That's the okay. last. That's yes. that's that is the final one hit wonder. Bohemian Rhapsody or Stairway to Heaven. Joe, you can go first since you since you were anticipating so, it. I think it's almost the same question in a way. Bohemian Rhapsody, just because it's fun. I mean that that shit is just a great song to have fun to. So definitely, yeah. yeah. Eli, Bohemian Rhapsody, yeah, Go show. Yeah. You know, it's weird um, because I saw this. I took this from somewhere. I don't know. You know. I'm not that original, but I took that question from somewhere. And uh, and, I, and when I first read it, I was like, well, everyone's going to say Bohemian Rhapsody. Who's going to say anything else? Right. Um, but there's been there's been some contention in there. And so I guess it is a valid question. OK. Yeah. 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 To me, it's a no brainer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, and and well, of course, it makes sense because you're a production guy. So, like, <laughs> I mean, that that is just, that. that is the 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 testament of of production right there. It's like that, and God only knows. It's like, right. <laughs> um, okay. The next section is the top ten countdown. These are um, just a, a collection of favorites. I use John in here interchangeably. So, if you want to make it about music, it can be about music. If you want to make it about anything you want. Let John be whatever you want John to be. Um, number one, we'll start with Eli. What was your first John? What was the first thing you were obsessed <laughs> with when you were a kid? Dress up. Yeah? Yeah. Anything? I love I loved just every day. I had a huge box and every single day. I mean, you know, talking little, little kid. But it's one of my first memories is that every day, the first thing I would do is go to this box and try to create, like, characters. That's awesome. I'm a uh, I'm a cosplay guy myself. So um so that, I that, that I haven't done it since I was, you know, I don't know, 6. Um but but it's never I too late. It. I was a kid. I was I was into it, man. Never too late to get back into it. All yeah, right. <laughs> Joe, how about you? What was your first John? Sneakers. Yeah? And Nike just started producing I I forget if it was the Bruin or the Blazer. It was a basketball shoe. And then I moved in the Converse Dr. J's. Um, Cause it was like you wore, um, what was that? The Chuck Taylors. Yep. And then I was like, ah, every, like this is it. And then all of a sudden those shoes started to come on the market. And I was like, Oh, I'm so in. 
And it's continued to this day. And genetically, I always tell my son, he's got it on like the 18th chromosome because his whole room is filled with sneakers. He's always getting the retro Jordans. I mean, it, yeah, without a doubt, sneakers. Um, well, now that that's your John, I'm going to have to ask because also as as a as a as a runner, what, what what's your number one running shoe? What uh, what's your what's your go to? I don't know if you know this thing. I own the Haddonfield. I founded the Haddonfield Running Company, which is now this running company of South Jersey with like four stores, and it was a wonderful store, one of the top forty stores in the United States, rated by like a trade industry. Um, so the simple answer is whatever is the best shoe for your foot. So whatever has the biomechanics that are appropriate for your foot and the shape of the shoe to fit your foot. That's the best shoe. Okay. Okay. So my buddy just, my buddy (laughs) just took the marketing head of marketing for Salmon trail shoes, which is like a European brand and they're fantastic. So I'll say Salomon running shoes. Okay. That's what I wear. (laughs) Is that (laughs) really what you wear? (laughs) But for hiking, but yeah, they're awesome. I bought bought another pair and I took them back because I like these better. Unbelievable! Go. Unbelievable! I'm yeah. a uh, for for trail. I'm a uh, I'm an Adidas Terex guy myself. So nice. okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, number two, what's your current John? What are you into right now, Eli? Hiking. Yeah, yeah. I, I moved out to the wilderness. I shouldn't say the wilderness. I moved out, uh, 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 but I live on a mountain. I live in the woods on a mountain, and uh, I have my little pup, and we just go hiking every day, and I love it. That's awesome. Is that a, is that a uh, post pandemic uh, pickup or is that a uh... yeah yeah early yeah. on in the pandemic I I, I it's one of the pandemic was one of those things that like cut for me my experience with it was there was, it became very clear what I needed to change in my life and and that a lot of things needed to change in my life and so um so a lot of things did and one of them was um I started hiking every day and I, and I love it that's awesome that is very cool Joe how about yourself what's your current John Horses. So um, not pretentiously at all, but um, I grew up, my uncle raced thoroughbred horses and it wasn't like we weren't fancy or anything like that. Um, We raced at like Penn National and a lot of different tracks. But um, recently, my wife, who rode when she was young, got back into it with our little one. And uh, we just ended up getting a Bob Baffert trained horse who was on the on the path to ride a race in the Kentucky Derby before it broke its shin and ended up getting put in a like a retired racehorse adoption situation and we ended up with it. Oh, that's awesome. And I love this horse. I give it snuggles. So I had two German shepherds who passed away and I think their souls came back in this horse. That's unbelievable. He puts his head next to me and like it's a, for a former thoroughbred like mildly precarious to be like that close um when you don't really know it because we just got it and he just snuggles with me and he's like yo we're all good that's so cool absolute blessing in my life um it it will will he make an appearance on any of these albums um i don't know he's super (laughs) cool like i've invited eli over to the barn just to meet him because i guarantee eli will be like oh this this is the cool so i think that could happen we get a get a couple pictures of this guy he's actually incredibly handsome the moment i saw him in lexington kentucky i said to my wife that's the one and she's like what do you mean that's the one <laughs> we got 800 horses to look at and i'm like nope that's the one it's awesome love it first sight i love it yeah. number three uh eli what was your first concert journey jfk stadium monsters of rock 1980 
Yes, very nice, very nice. Joe, how about yourself? Either Dan Fogelberg or Jackson Brown at the Spectrum in 84-ish. Okay, okay, perfect, perfect. Uh, Number four, what was the last concert you were at? I just went saw Flaming Lips a couple months ago, and that was, I'd seen them a bunch of times, but um, it was, it was, it did the heart good. I, I love the energy of their shows. It's just good medicine. The um, I, I saw them a few times, but my favorite Flaming Lips show I've ever been to was I was in college and they played like our the Hadley Union building or whatever it was. And um, their entire backdrop was just um, Christmas lights still in the packages. So like, <laughs> so like it was a wall of Christmas lights in the packages. And I thought it was the coolest thing I had ever seen. And I swear wow. I was sober. Um, <laughs> Joe, how about Very yourself? Cool. What was the last what was the last show you went to? I saw an incredible show at 118 North in Wayne in November with uh Don Hyatt, John Fay, and Eli Wenger. And uh it was great. Um, you know, John has become a friend. I wrote a record review in ninety four a concert review of John in ninety-four, and it said I'm not sure if the band will make it, but the John Fay is an absolute superstar. And uh, we reconnected recently. And um, so John, Eli, and Dawn, great show in the round. It was fun as heck. Um, just a really nice night. That's so cool. That, I would have loved to have been at that show. That would have been a phenomenal show. I just saw that he's um, co-hosting the uh, open mic night at the reopening Dobbs. Yes. Yeah. 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 Be neat he to do just- that. Eli and him just actually played a um, a house concert a couple weeks ago. Oh, yeah. really? Where where no, at? I I somewhere in in Ardmore, I think. Okay. Just outside of Ardmore. Um, I could be wrong about that. I, I I map quested it all the way, or I guess Google Maps, whatever. Um, but no, John was uh, kind enough to invite me to to, to play um, a couple songs at, at at a show that he had, he had arranged. That's nice so family, cool. very cool. Yeah, very good guy. Very good guy. Uh, number five, what was your favorite concert? What was the best concert you were ever at, Eli? Uh, an end of, I mean, like, I feel bad not saying the Grateful Dead concert because I went to so many and they were such a huge part of my life. But I saw Jane's Addiction at the TLA in 1988, I think, or 89. And I, I remember saying to my friend when we left, like, I'm different now. And I, it just, I went in as like a kid and I came out and I'd seen something and I just didn't know what I'd seen. It was a shaman on some kind of level. And, uh, but I didn't know, you know, I was in seventh grade or something like that. And, um, and I just remember riding home in the trunk, just mesmerized, trying to understand what I'd just seen because I'd never seen anything like it. That is a fantastic answer. That's crazy. At the TLA, I couldn't imagine. Like, yeah, I was- just, just happened to hear about a thing and took a chance and it was amazing. Fantastic. Joe, how about yourself? Uh, Chestnut Cabaret, early to mid nineties, the Judy bats. So it's a band. I, I don't even know where they're from. I want to say like Tennessee and uh, it absolutely blew my mind. And um, the dude came out, the lead singer came out on stage and played a song called, I want to fuck your hair. <laughs> and we lost our shit. He sang 
his voice was at four different octaves throughout the song. It was unbelievable. And I like turned to my buddy and go, what the hell just happened in our, like same with Eli, like what just happened? Like, there's no way a dude that we don't really know can do this. It was absolutely unbelievable. Phenomenally underrated band. How, uh, how did you end up there? Were they like an opener or something or no, just, they uh, were, just went, they were the main act. My buddy who was more into music at a deeper level. He's like, he lived in Jersey and he's like, Hey man, the Judy bats are coming. I don't, I don't know who the hell are the Judy bats. He's like, dude, just show up. <laughs> so I meet him down in at the show and I left and I was like, Oh boy, that, you know, like he left. You're, everything's different at that point. You're like, Whoa, I saw something that like crazy, crazy. Those are the best shows. That's like my favorite thing. And yeah. that's why like I really like like festivals and stuff like that is like catching bands who I would never, never go see or anything like that. And they just, you know, grab you and just kind of own you for the entirety of their set. Like it's, 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 it's it, there's nothing better. There's absolutely nothing better. They have a song called Intense Beige, if you're interested. Just the title of the song is awesome. But um, they have some a couple great albums. Um, Down in the Shacks Where the Satellite Dishes Grow, I think is probably their most famous album. But if you look them up, you can find it. And you can find that encore. I think it's on YouTube. Oh, I definitely got to check this out. Yes, I, yeah. definitely, I definitely need a little Judy Bats in my life. I Absolutely. Definitely... <laughs> uh, number six, who have you never seen live that you wish you would have? They can be both living and or dead. I always wanted to see Prince. Mm, same. That is uh, my, my, I, 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 on the uh, interview with the puppet, um, I told the story. He's, he's my answer as well because my parents in 84 during the Purple Rain tour, um, actually bought a ticket for me to go with them to see Prince, oh. but then heard about what the stage show was like and <laughs> would not take me with them. So. Yeah, good parents. Yeah. I did. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, my my first two concerts were uh, David Bowie uh, during the um, Serious Moonlight tour in '83, and uh, my second concert was David Bowie during the Glass Spider tour in '87. So yes, I had very very good parents. Nice, <laughs> uh, Joe. How about yourself? Someone you've never seen live that you wish you would have. This is going to come out of left field, but uh, he go he plays under the band name Eels. Yes. I love that dude. And like, um, what, uh, I'm going to look this up right now. Um, he's got the song rock hard times, which I play on endless loop at my house right now during pandemic. Um, but I would love to see him. I don't even know if he's playing out, out anymore, but, um, I, I have a, all his albums. I, I think he's fantastic. There's, um, there's that eel song from, um, the Grinch soundtrack that uh, made every single one of my Christmas playlists that I've okay. made for the past, like 15 <laughs> years or whenever that, whenever that soundtrack came out, I love them. They're fantastic. Yeah. Um, number seven, uh, name an unappreciated John name, something you wish uh, had some more shine to it. Uh, we'll let Eli go first. Uh, I was thinking about this in terms of music. Um <laughs> I don't know. This is going to sound so stupid, but, 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 um, seeing yourself in others, <laughs> that's not stupid. And seeing others in yourself and the ridiculousness that goes on and how we perceive people. It just, uh, I'm, bad. I'm telling you the past two years, man, like, uh, like any kind of introspection and, and recognition of self, 
um, has been enormous. And I, 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 you know, I've, I've emerged from this pandemic a different person. And I like to think that I've emerged from this pandemic a better person. Um, but I am definitely a lot weirder. Um, (laughs) (laughs) weird is good. Weird is good. Weird is good. Weird is good. Joe, how about yourself? Um, can I give you two, Nate? Sure. Um, You can give me as many as you want. Non-music related. So I've been listening to a ton of podcasts and I'm a sports guy because it's what I do as a career. So, um, there's a podcast, the green light podcast. Chris Long. You got it. Do you listen? I do listen. I'm, Dude, I'm, I, that is, he is absolutely phenomenal. Plus, he loves music. Yes, he does. He, um, uh, th- th- he's on my wish list of guests. I would love to pick his brain for that. Dude is a special guy, and his dad is a special guy. The whole family is like super cool. And another uh, person who gives, man. Another yeah. person who who definitely gives back. And uh, that is that was how I became a fan of him. Actually, was yeah. just finding all of the philanthropic stuff that he did. And I was like, Oh my God, this guy's amazing. And he's on our team right now. I was like, Oh, you know, yeah. and then I saw him at the, uh, at the, the Super Bowl parade wearing an Iverson Jersey and a fur coat. And I was like, okay, you're my spirit <laughs> animal for the rest of my life, I guess. So totally. And he's, he's, he's like literally one of us Philly guys, even yeah. though he grew up like in Charlottesville, he's still, right. he's a yeah. he's absolute dude. And the other oddly is, do you like hot sauce? I do like hot sauce, yeah. My favorite hot sauce is a brand from Seattle City called Hank Sauce. And they have a flavor. My favorite is Camouflage. Now, you can start to see it at chain supermarkets. Like, this this shit is the John. Yeah. It, is, <laughs> it, is, it is so freaking good. So I give it to people when I go to their homes out of state or they come in. I'm like, dude, you need to get this hot sauce. So we just give it away. So Okay. Yeah. I definitely have to be on the lookout for that. That sounds yeah. phenomenal. Yep. There you go. Uh, next one, uh, number eight. And I know this is a tough one, but uh, what's your favorite album? Go with Eli. Um, Bob Dylan and the band, The Basement Tapes. Yeah. Okay. I like it. And 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 uh, also Unfinished. Uh, so uh, kind of the, the album, yeah. they didn't take seven years on it. That's interesting. <laughs> Well, they didn't release it for seven years, so 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 th- okay. there may be something. <laughs> yeah. So there's still some time. All right, I get it. I get it. That's that's fair. No, but I just love the haphazard playfulness of it, and just um, I don't know. It's it's, it's like these old timey songs that were created in modern times, and yet somehow feel fully authentic. I love it. Yeah, you know, um, and it's one of the one of the I mean, multiple reasons, but one of the big reasons why I miss uh, Levon Helm is just he just added such an uh, authenticity to um, everything he touched, even stuff he was just playing on. Like he just, you know, is is definitely musically missed um, in 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 my heart for sure. For sure. Uh, Joe, how about yourself? Uh, Newfound glory. Um, coming home. Interesting. I would have so I've that. seen them a bunch of times. I love it. This album, I literally, if you played it, I could sing every word through the whole album. And my wife and I got married this summer to uh, "Too Good to Be," which is song number eight. Okay. All right. <laughs> very cool. Very yeah. cool. And very lovely. Very lovely. Um, also, congratulations. Uh, Thank you. Um, oh, oh, and Nate, I have. There's a 1A. There's okay. a, a Los Halos leaving Virginia. 
I like it. We're, Keeping it Eli's on brand. Too, Eli's too modest to acknowledge, but uh, it's de- without a doubt one of my favorite albums I've ever listened to. Very Thanks, cool. Man. That is very cool. Look at the love. Look at the love. I love it. Uh, number nine, name an artist whose output you'll consume anything they put out, even if you have to be apologetic for it. Uh, Eli. It's tie, but it's the same. Bob Dylan and the Grateful Dead. Yeah. Well, there's, I just, oh, I love music that is created in the moment. You know, and, and both Bob Dylan and the Grateful Dead never let preconceived ideas of what a song should be interfere with the song actually is. And uh, they let the song be what it really wanted to be. And I, as a result, they were always recreating it. And I'm not, I'll go see Bob Dylan live every time. It might not be good, um, but usually in every performance, there's one moment where he's found a whole new way to kind of express a thought that you've heard a thousand times before because he's singing it in that moment for real. And, um, and a whole new emotion is conveyed and a whole new context is, 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 is put forth. And, and I love the way he can constantly reinvent even his own material and the way that the dead did the same thing. And so it's always interesting. I'm always hearing new things and new approaches to things that I've heard a thousand times. Very true. Very true. Um, uh, and completely agree. Um, one on, on, on the way that like, you know, I, I don't know that the dead were ever settled on what a song was. Um, right. And, yes. and, 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 it's always you know, growing. and, and that's that like, and that is, a goal of something that like um i don't know that i should emulate (laughs) um but always want to like i I sometimes listen to early recordings of things i've done in the past that like i'm still playing these songs and i'm like oh this is a completely different song (laughs) and i don't even remember ever playing it like this but um but i do have to ask one question now that you've named dylan in that as well does that also include all 18 minutes of Murder Most Foul or whatever the title of that song was that just came out. So I I actually think I did a whole <laughs> so I did a review of, of, of that album and um and I love this record because I, I the way I express it, at least in the review, is that it's the first album by Robert Zimmerman confronting the mythology of Bob Dylan with the realization that um He's going to die soon. You know, he's he's yeah. he's hitting a, a point where he's acknowledging his own mortality and he has to confront his own myth. And I think that song is about him identifying the birth of Bob Dylan the same year as the, the assassination of JFK and following the mythology of both as they evolve and all the different peripheral things. And it's seeing himself as part of, you know, this American mythology. And I, I can I listen to it all the time? No, but I love that he constructed something that allows him to finally, um, I don't know, deal with his own sense of importance in the world and 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 what he accomplished while also sort of looking at it from a human character. Son of a bitch, you're going to make me go listen to that song again. You just, <laughs> you, <laughs> you did it. You did it. You're going to make me go revisit it. Now you're going to make me eat my words. I hope you're happy. <laughs> Sorry, man. <laughs> that's it. No, that's awesome. That is awesome. And a fantastic answer. Um, Joe, how about yourself? What uh, Name an artist. So I, I don't necessarily think I have to apologize for much of his work, but uh, Bob Mould. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, Husker Du, oh, it's Husker Du. His workbook, his first solo album was absolutely killer. Um, I loved Sugar. Um, 
modulate the electronic uh, electronic album maybe the one that was sort of a little bit you know not on the beaten path for bob mold um silver age was a return to form yeah i mean i just his um his memoirs are incredible um i just absolutely i think he's absolutely phenomenal thoughtful um just a freaking great musician and uh when he's on i don't think it gets much better do not disagree um here's a little a little uh nate trivia for anyone who uh gives a shit and i know there's not many but anyway a little nate trivia is um i play um when i play live and i play acoustic i play a line six variax and um the reason i play that is because I saw Bob Mould using it uh, when I saw him at the North Star, and I was like, this guitar does everything, and I need to own it immediately. I own, I'm pretty sure I left that show and went and tracked one down and bought it um, because I was just totally blown away by everything he could do with that guitar. And then um, part two, um, I'm Sorry Baby, But You Can't Stand In My Light Anymore is one of my favorite songs of all time. Okay. Like, absolutely phenomenal and just a such a perfect line as a title like it's just i love that dude i'd say it's too late is probably the song that like when i hear it it just evokes so much emotion in me um it just i love yeah now the dude's incredible um it's interesting so do you miss the north star i do i do i know it was I know. such a great room. It was actually the very first time I ever saw John Fay live was at the North Star. Were you at his record release party? For Ike. For oh, uh, Parallel. We were there for the Caulfields. Oh, oh. So oh, dude, it, was, <laughs> it was so good, Nate. It was so much fun. Like, but that was a great room. Yeah. Yeah. It was fantastic. Fantastic. I do miss that. There's a lot of places I miss. Um, you know, I'm, that's one of the things that's like, uh, uh, I guess it happens all the time that venues open and venues close, but like a lot of the ones that are closing now are the ones that are really close to my heart. You know, like, uh, you, you mentioned boot and saddle earlier, like, uh, boot and saddle that, you know, was devastating to lose, but you know, we, we strive on. We, 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 we keep going. We, we, we'll have more venues, I hope. <laughs> One of the blessings about Eli was he bought such incredible shows to Steel City. I mean, phenomenal artists came through that. I remember his dad wanted to see Chris Smither. So next thing you know, Chris Smither appears. You're like, what the hell is going on? Like, it was, yeah, fantastic. That's awesome. That's a flex. That's a flex. Oh, is that is that who you want to see, Dad? Well, guess what? <laughs> <laughs> I can't take credit for that though. That that was uh, that was Lance and Jane that 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 put that together. So uh, I loved having him. But um, no, I, I don't give, think I so. Give credit to some other folks. I think it was when you guys owned it. It was. It was. But, okay. but we didn't. We didn't book it. Got it. Okay. Got it. Okay. Yep. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, the 10th and final top 10 countdown. What is your favorite John of all time? Again, doesn't have to be music, but if you would like it to be, you very much can make it a, a piece of music or something. Uh, Eli, what do you got? Um, man, I guess really losing yourself and dancing at a Grateful Dead show. I, 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 nothing... Nothing, I, I don't know, nothing better. Wait, wait, I mean, like, when the right moment, <laughs> when you're in the right frame of mind. Yeah. And you can go to a show and completely let go of ego and just 
dance your ass off for two and a half hours. Um, I love that. That is so true. Like the, the, you know, and you, you said it perfectly, like letting go of ego, like that is such a release, especially when it's connected, um, with a crowd of other people doing the same thing. Like there, ah, there's, 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 there's nothing beautiful. like it. There is nothing like it. Uh, Joe, what's your favorite John of all time? So like to keep it out of the personal realm, like the birth of my kids and all that, without a doubt, the Eagles winning the Super Bowl and go into the parade. Like I was crying and my son who was, I think 16 at the time is like, dad, why the hell are you crying? I go, honey, I've waited 50 years for this thing. You've waited 16. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> you have no idea what this is like. And then, um, and then the parade, I mean the whole, that whole few, three weeks, like you were just like, nothing can everything's good in the world like everything's the axis is correct we're all we're all good it's really funny because um i was like i don't care what this team does for the rest of my life like that was they gave they brought me so much joy in that moment and yet here i am every sunday throwing my goddamn shoe at the screen (laughs) (laughs) yeah the same thing like the next everybody's like it doesn't really matter if they're good or not i'm like yeah you're right and then like third game you're like Wentz, what the hell is <laughs> bring, bring back foals. Come on. This is craziness. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. It's so true. Well, uh, so you guys had mentioned, um, you guys, you know, you got that show coming up in March and of course the album is coming out, uh, on the, on this Friday. Um, what, what, what's the plan? What's the release plan? What do you guys, what do you guys got coming up? We did uh, some singles. We yeah. put out a few singles ahead of it. Um, I think we're going to, we, we did an interview with, uh, like a videographer who's going to chop about 50 seconds per song of the interview out and sort of send those out as promotion of the whole album. So we're going to start with like, after the album's release, just keeping ourselves in front of the, you know, the people that care about the album. Um, and then, you know, like I said, it's okay. I'll be coming out in late spring, the single. <laughs> so, you know, we'll have that going on and, uh, yeah, man. <laughs> that is great. That is great. And, uh, Eli, what about, what about, uh, solo? Um, you, you said you didn't, you, you, you got the bad kids, uh, singles. Like how, how are you, uh, releasing those anytime soon? Um, well, theoretically, uh, I'll be, I don't know how long. I have one month to finish it, but that doesn't mean it comes out like on the first year of the month because I have to submit it and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, the, the goal is to do one song a month. I'm trying. Right. I, got, I got the first song started. So uh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> awesome. But I, awesome. I'm just trying to kind of evolve every day a little bit. That's all you, it's all you can ask for. Just a, yep. a one step every day. I love it. Uh, guys, uh, anyone listening, um, please definitely jump on whatever streaming service you have or wherever you find music and uh, uh, treat yourself uh, to A Life I Knew by The Bannister Effect. As I said, I've been listening to it for the past week and a half or so or uh, when, whenever Maggie sent it to me. And uh, it is absolutely phenomenal. And I am so thankful, not just for you guys um, coming on the show, but for creating that music and finding each other, man. Like, um, it is really something special uh, that you guys put together. Um, so thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much, man. Appreciate you having us. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Really appreciate the kind words and having us on the show. Yeah, this is fun. 
My thanks again to Joe and Eli for joining me on the show today. You can find more about the Bannister Effect on their Instagram, at Bannister Effect, and on YouTube and Facebook by searching for the Bannister Effect. And be sure to check out their new album, A Life I Knew, available on all streaming services on January 21st. Now, you know the deal. If you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to the Yo, That's My John podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. And if you still haven't earned yourself a super awesome John Scout merit badge for citizenship of the world, you can do it just by rating and reviewing us. Don't forget to visit www.yothatsmyjohn.com for articles and merchandise. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash yothatsmyjohn for updates and live streams. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Yo That's My John and search Yo That's My John on YouTube to find the Yo That's My John YouTube channel. And while you're there, why don't you just go ahead and like and subscribe the heck out of that ish. We want to hear from you. Reach out, reach out, and touch some John. Well, that's all she wrote. Hmm. Who is the she in that? That's all who wrote. What if we weren't ready for it all to be over and she just had a hand cramp and decided to put down the pen? Why have we chosen to live by her decision to write no more? Why? Who does she think she is? Well... The world will never know, because that's all she wrote. Blue skies, until next time, everybody. Hey, yo, displace the guilt and embrace the pleasure. Your taste in music doesn't have to be measured. You ain't being judged. Yo, That's My John is a Lonely Monk production written and produced by yours truly, Nate Runkle. Theme song by Phil Tyler Music featuring Nate 3.0. Special thanks to Fox Run Brands, DX Ferris, Andrew Scott, Natalie Runkle, and the incredibly brilliant and wickedly stunning Katie Daubney. If you or anyone you know has any ideas they would like to share or any guests they would like to hear on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to us at yo, that's my John at gmail.com. Or you can leave an audio message for us and possibly hear yourself on a future episode by visiting anchor.fm slash ytmj slash message. Until next time, be sure to displace the guilt and embrace the pleasure and shout to the world, yo, that's my John. Yo, that's my John.